Hey guys, welcome to Unpacking Design. I'm Mike Lavalley. And Tim Ung, and this is a show where we tell you about products and ideas that relate to designers all over the world. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Unpacking Design. Tim, today is my topic. Are you excited? I am, because we, I feel like we haven't done too many actual <laughs> like deep topics in a while. So, you don't know what this topic is. I haven't mentioned this to you at all. You have no idea. And I think what I want to do, it's about, it's similar to uh, formats we've had before, but I'm going to shake it up a little bit. So it's about, it's specifically about a book, but I'm going to ask you the questions that were asked to several other people because I want to know what your answers are from the book. Okay. How can we phrase that? So what are we actually unpacking? We're unpacking... Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors. Oh, okay. I haven't read that book yet. And I know you haven't, which is going to make this even better. That's ama- Did you finish that book? That's a massive book. It's, it's, I am not done with it, but okay. I am halfway through. It's like a thousand <laughs> pages. It's like an encyclopedia. <laughs> so uh, first I wanted to take this as an opportunity to, you know, we're not, look, we're not sponsoring this book. Yeah. But, and we're not sponsoring Tim Ferriss either, but I just think that he's worth looking into yeah. and for reasons that we'll talk about. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Tim Ferriss is uh, sort of one of these, uh, I don't know, what would you call Tim Ferriss? Like if you had to describe him. I mean, I know you know who he is. I think he, at heart he's an entrepreneur because he started off by jumping from a job he hated into starting a company that did kind of the drop shipping ideas of mm-hmm. today, but he did it way back when that wasn't really a big thing. Yeah. So I think that's sort of his... Um, his MO to some degree. Like he's he's the guy that I think is doing stuff super early and trying stuff way ahead of the curve. Yeah. And then it becomes the curve, you yeah. know? And uh, the thing that I appreciate about a lot of his works, you know, I have, um, so he's he's probably most famous for the four hour work week yeah. in terms of just a one book. Uh, but he's done uh, four hour chef, four hour body. Uh, uh, what's the uh, Tribe of Mentors and Tools of Titans mm-hmm. was the other one so he's very prolific he writes a lot and he has like one of the most popular podcasts like known to man yeah and he's a very interesting innovative guy yeah. so enough about Tim Ferriss because he's not completely the topic yeah what I really wanted to talk about and I thought would be a great tool for designers or people listening to this podcast is Tribe of Mentors and the reason I say that, it's his uh, latest book. It's like 500, 600 pages. And that sounds daunting, but the format is actually very palatable. So the reason why I want to have this as a topic is because I'm very interested to know how uh, you would answer some of the questions that he, ans- he asks people. He asks everyone that he included in the book. And, you know, it's everybody from uh, CEOs to uh athletes to uh, movie stars, mm-hmm. people who have accomplished a lot in their lives, yeah. right? And everybody is super interesting and their their responses are varied and I'm just very enamored by the book. So what he did was he basically came up with, I think it's about 11 questions and he asked all the people that were included in the book the 11 questions. Some mm-hmm. of them answered all of them. Some of them answered some of them. And I'm not giving you that option. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to answer all 11 okay. questions. 
And some of them, I think we could gear a little bit more towards design. So if you feel like mm -hmm. there's a, an opportunity there, feel free to do that. Mm -hmm. But um, similar to the episode we had before where you asked me five questions mm -hmm. about early career, I just felt like this would be kind of a, an interesting way to um, engage a topic like this. And to flip it back on yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So now, not only are there more than double that in terms of questions, but I'm, I'm super interested to understand um, maybe things that we haven't even talked about through, yeah. through the lens of these questions. Yeah. Are you ready yeah. for the 11 questions? What's the first one? So the first question is, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books you have greatly that have greatly influenced your life? Um, the first one is Tony Robbins' Money Masters of the Game. That's a really big one because for me, being a designer and an architect, we always focus on this creative side of life, but we never think about how we're going to do in terms of our own finances in the future. Yeah. And that book helped me understand investing and helped me understand um, different uh, financial goals that I can be setting up for myself and where I fall into in terms of a category. Like what is it that I really want out of my life and how does my finances relate to that? And so that's the book that I recommend to a lot of people whenever I talk about investing or anything. You have, know? have you ever gifted a book? I mean, I feel like I've gifted books, but they've <coughs> only been, um, they haven't been like that. They've been more like, hey, I know you like this author, here's, here's something else. But I haven't done what he's suggesting, which I think is what the question implies, is like, I'm not one of those people that gifts books to yeah. just, hey, this will really help your life. You know? um, no, you I, I haven't actually gifted a book. I would say I've, rec I've highly recommended a book mm -hmm. to someone who was really looking for one. Sure. Um, and I have considered sending books to those people because sometimes you tell them about it, but they never actually order the book. Right. And so for me, no, I typically recommend a book. And at some point, I also have this weird feeling that people within our age range between, you know, from 35 years old and younger yeah. typically don't read hard copy books anymore, which probably is a lie. Like, I'm sure a lot of us yeah. still read, but more people like digital books, and I don't know how to gift the ebook. I don't know. I haven't looked into it yet. Um, so that, that would be probably the biggest financial book that I'd recommend. In terms of other books, um, I started reading one on marketing and today's kind of world by Seth Godin. I actually don't recall the name because I just bought it. I'm like midway through the book. It's something like how to sell meatballs or something like that. And it's a really, really good book um, because he, he describes marketing in a way that you understand in today's world. And he explains it from the perspective of himself and what he's learned by looking at big companies like Apple. And um, he breaks it down in a very short way. Like the book is only maybe 120, 150 pages, something like that. Uh -huh. And it's a small size book, so it's easy to read through. But there's so much information in there that you really, you get so engaged in it and you lose track of time. Um, and he, he basically tries to teach you how people think and how people operate and how you can tap into that but doing it through being authentic and how to be authentic and how to have a different perspective. So that's a recent book that I've picked up that I, I would start recommending to people who are starting a business or getting into the um, marketing side of a business. Is and it Meatball Sunday? 
Yes, I think that's what it is. Meatball Sunday is your marketing out of sync. I think that's what it is. Does it look like this? Yeah, that's what it is. It's okay. called Meatball Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I said how to sell a meatball is because in it he talks about how to sell yeah. a meatball to someone. Um, and so it's he always has great books yeah. and and you know it really so it would be a book that you pick up and would put down sometimes for some people because you'd look at it and not understand it. But when you actually read what he's saying, it's it's such a good book. Um, and he's a prolific writer too. I mean, he's, he is. He's written a lot of, and they're all. They're very um, easy to like pick up. They're not. None of them are real. Yeah. None of them are really big books. They're yeah. just very. You know, like they have a very clear theme and yeah. they're very uh, to the point of what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And then the last book I'd probably recommend to someone. I, I have so many, but the last one that comes to mind, just because of we're both in that entrepreneurial mindset right now, uh-huh. is probably the One Hundred Dollar Startup by Chris Gillibo. Mm-hmm. That's a really good book that basically breaks down like how people have started their businesses with just a hundred dollars or less. Yeah, and um, it shows you that starting a new business doesn't require a lot of money. It right. requires more research and a great idea or like something that you personally love and have a passionate feeling and urge to do, you know? And I, I think that book really gets people from being that person that says, hey, I really want to start this to being the person that says, I started it, you know? There's always people who say, I want to do something, but they never actually do it. And this gives you enough knowledge to feel comfortable to take that next step. Sure. So. Those are some good books. Yeah, that was a hard question to answer, like, on the spot, too. <laughs> That's why I love this theme, because you're not, you haven't seen most of these questions. Yeah. And it, I, I feel like the uh, initial guttural reaction you have is going to be the purest. So yeah. that's, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. We got 10 more questions okay. to go. I'll make my answer shorter. <laughs> what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory, um, and he he adds to this uh, for his own purposes. My readers love specifics like brand and model, where you found it, etc. Um, for me, it would have to be a an ankle brace because I've been having running injuries with my left ankle, oh. and so I bought an ankle brace from a company called CEP. I actually don't know what that stands for. All I know is I read so many reviews, like what brace I should get, and I wanted to get one that I can wear as I ran so that I can slowly build the muscle that needs to be built because I've been pushing myself too hard, and then... I was slowly getting towards getting another stress fracture and I didn't want that. Right. And so I, I bought this so that it can help me keep my, my, um, my running form into a, a specific range. Sure. So I didn't overextend my foot and my ankle right. anymore. And, and to be clear, you run like almost every day. Yeah, like this morning, I woke up at six or seven and I ran 5K before our meeting. So, um, wow. And then the other day I ran, I ran a 10K. And so that I do not run as much. Typically, I try I try and run that. But I, I like let's say if I'm running a 5K, I try and run it between seven to eight minutes per mile, somewhere okay. in that range. Yeah. On, on a good day, it's closer to seven. On a regular day, it's at eight. If it's a 10K, I run between eight and 8:30 per mile. And when you're doing that, for me, like I was, I was trying to do a 5K under 20 minutes this year, and I unfortunately I'm not going to push myself to do it. But I got to like 21 minutes, and that was the fastest I could do it. Right. And after that, I started getting injured because I was pushing my leg too much. Yeah. So getting this leg, this this ankle brace helped a lot because 
it limits the, the extent of which my foot can actually bend. And it also compresses the muscle around the bone enough where I don't feel uncomfortable having it on as I run and I have it under my sock. And it holds it in the right angle just so that like I feel more comfortable and I don't feel any, I don't feel the pain. And if I do feel the pain, it's not as bad as it used to be. And it's slowly getting to a point where um, I feel as if the muscle's building enough. Uh -huh. And some days I don't even wear it when I run now. So it, it's something that I don't rely on. And I told myself that. So if people decide to buy it, just don't, don't wear it all the time. Like wear it on and off. So. All right. Yeah. Question three. Okay. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Huh. A failure. The blog. Uh, so before I started Journey of an Architect, I had, it started with designing and making as the title. And that <laughs> blog was a failure because I started it with a platform that I didn't know how to use. I had to learn how to code and I sucked at coding. And I didn't want to invest the time to learn how to code because I just wanted to move pictures a few pixels left and right and I couldn't do it. Sure. So then um, that failure actually turned into a success because after that, I, you and I started talking more and more and right. I realized I can just switch platforms. Right. I made that switch. It's, it changed to, uh, the name of it was Studios for Us because I wanted that to become my, uh, the blog for my future design firm. Right. And I realized this doesn't make sense. Like no one un understands this name, whatever. So then I was like, okay, what's the last name that I'm probably gonna switch it to? And then I switched it to Journey of an Architect. And from the moment I made that switch, well, from the moment I started designing and making to become making it into Journey of an Architect, it took six months. After that, Journey of an Architect just took off and I really found my groove for blogging. Yeah. And then that turned into writing a book and all these other endeavors. So And in the like the focus completely changed that if I remember from like what you had originally. Like you were you were you started it out as like a I don't remember if it was really a blog or if it was like a more kind of like how Evolving Architect is now where it's a bunch of articles trying to help people because mm -hmm. it, it seemed like you were doing tutorials and things like it that. It was a lot of tutorials. Yeah. I was writing a lot of tutorials about architecture and, and the different skills that I felt were important for its time. Right. And it could have definitely grown. It didn't yeah. have anything that was going to limit it. But the, the spectrum for the vision I had for it was too, was too broad. I wanted yeah. designing and making to be about designing and right. making, which I'm doing <laughs> right now. Like, it could have worked out, right? But just the, because I had that name, it made me think in such a weird way about it. So, Question four. Okay. This is a long question. If, but the, the answer could be simple. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, Metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? It could be a few words or a paragraph. If helpful, it can be someone else's quote. Are there any quotes you can think of often or that you live your life by? Um, and it doesn't have to be a quote. It's just like a, a side thing. Yeah. I can, I can only have one answer for this one, right? So One answer. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> I'm in between two, but... I'll probably go with the one that I live my life by. Um, it's a quote that I, I latched onto from a very young age, and it was, if today were your last, how would you live it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important one because for me, it's one that 
makes if it makes me feel as if I I have to do as much as I can and I have to do the things that I want to do today. Right. And that's important because when I say doing the things I want to do, it means that I choose the things that will fill my day. It's sure. not going to be the things that I hate and the things that others want me to do. And I feel like in our society today, that's what we fall under a lot. There's the influence of media, which is like, it makes you think a certain way and it makes you feel like you need to do something, right? Like people that follow Instagram travelers, they feel the need to go and travel. Right. And for me, I always step back and look at myself and say, well, what is it that I want to do right now? What is it that I need to do right now? And what is it that I am trying to do so that I can set up tomorrow if I do have tomorrow? Yeah. And then every day I work towards that, so. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, question five. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, etc. So I think this is the way that I perceive this question is it's not the same as the $100 question. It's yeah. more like ever. And yeah. what is the best investment? Um, I'd say the best investment I've made is time into an idea that I came up with on my own. Mm -hmm. And that's an important one because if I, if I had never invested my time into some crazy idea that I had and at least like pursued it for the, a week, right. I would have never come up with the leather company. I would have never come up with a great hobby like that. I would have never started blogging, you know? And so looking at my time instead of looking at my money was a really big one. You know, like there are so many things that we could be doing that are worth more than money can ever buy. Like right now I can do this leather thing forever and I, I don't need to sell it, sure. but I'm so satisfied by it that I feel like my life is more fulfilled. Right. So. It's also a good answer. <laughs> What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Hmm. I have this weird thing for pushing myself to a limit, like to my, my whether it's physical or mental. Uh -huh. I have this weird love for that. And other people who see me do it and who know me really well and they know that I'm doing it, right. they always tell me to stop and to slow down. And it, it, it ranges, like the running goal. Friends of mine who are physical therapists always tell me to slow down and take my time. And I've never done that. I don't know why. There's some part of my brain and my body that, that has that urge to pursue it, you know? And with um, Journey of an Architect, I wanted to design 30 projects by the time I turned 30. I had five years to do it. I'm on 28, and that took me two and a half years. And so when you, when you think about when you think about all of that and you combine it with what it takes to do that, right? How, how do you design 28 projects with a full-time job and have a leather company in two and a half years? And yeah. how do you do that and have this running and as a health goal? And it's like, where does that time come from? Right. It doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from me pushing myself. And sometimes it hurts, like physically it hurts. And like sometimes I have these, day, these days where like I get so tired and I've, I'm literally depleted. And then I go to sleep and the next day I wake up and I do the same thing and then I'm totally depleted again. Yeah. But it's just this awkward relationship that I have with this idea that I, I want more. And 
it's not more just to want that more that idea of more, but it's actually things that I want to attain and achieve for myself. Sure. So. I don't know. I guess now you can see it too because now that I say it, it's like, wow, yeah. that doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, I was just shaking my head. Obviously, nobody can, <laughs> nobody can see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, spending time with people. Uh, I was like growing up I was very introverted uh -huh. today I would still classify myself as being introverted but whenever I think of talking to people and meeting with people yeah I don't I always go at it and think about it from the perspective of trying to know someone so much better like right. trying to know them but remember them yep. and how do I make someone memorable I have to really be engaged and for me Ever since I started that, that simple thing of meeting people and talking to old friends and reaching out to old peers, it's helped me a lot because it, it helped me understand more about my profession if it's younger architects. Yep. It helped me understand what our profession can be if it's older architects. And it's helped me understand life just from other perspectives. Doctors, friends of mine who are doctors, friends of mine who are teachers, friends of mine, you know, there's this wide spectrum of people out there. and. The more I know about those professions and those kinds of people who have certain personalities and traits that are in common, the more that I feel it's influencing my design beliefs and what I can be designing for those kinds of personalities in the future. Uh, when you start meeting more and more people, you can start to find similarities between certain um, personalities out there. And when you find that, it helps you engage with those people differently and it helps you design something for them and it helps you just be more genuine and, and more open to those kinds of people. And when I say those kinds of people, there are people that I used to never get along with. But because I took a step back and I learned to listen, it really helped me meet more of those people that I now are very good friends with. Sure. So. I find that it's very difficult. Like I, when I'm trying to you know go out or, or uh, you know go to like a networking event even or like a uh, I go to a lot of like parties in the area for yeah. uh, or like engagements with the AIA yeah. the architects kind of local group yeah and I find that like I I tend to um, like really be positive and open and engaged yeah but not always like it, w when you were just saying uh, what you were saying about trying to make somebody memorable I think that's the factor that I've been missing actually when I talk to people is just trying to like I'm engaged but in like more of a surface level and yeah. I feel like maybe um, I'm just I'm having like this epiphany right now Tim yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like maybe if I um, uh, I don't I don't think it's more that I'm trying to just speak about myself but I think it's it's more about like really listening to um, to somebody else to to help me make them more memorable for me so that like it I don't know like a lot of people for me I've had very similar issues with being introverted and while I've been more outgoing in terms of just be putting myself out there I don't think I've really fostered as many relationships um, or friendships as I probably could have 
had I been more engaged the way you're talking about. Yeah, and and it's it's good that you bring that up. The way that I realize how to talk to people in our profession is, and especially if I want to get to know someone, is that I have to break down barriers, right? Uh, Everyone goes to these kinds of events like you're talking about with this perception that they have to be professional, they have to be this, they have to be that, and there's so much in there. And the way that I, the other part of it is a lot of designers come with a lot of ego. It's sure. not everyone, but right. it is a big thing where everyone, there is this egotistical way of thinking. Yep. And so when I want to get to know people, I've always found humor to be the way to like break a barrier really quickly. So if I can make fun of myself or make a joke and people laugh and then you keep doing that throughout a conversation, it makes them so much more comfortable because it releases the, the tension that they've had. And it gets them to a point where they can like settle a little bit and then open up a lot about their personal lives. And that, as soon as someone talks about their personal lives, you jump in and you really just engage. And that's when you learn about someone for who they are versus someone for their profession. Right. So, Yeah, I remember there's a, um, there's a question that I think, um, I remember a quote or a question, I think it was, I, I might be completely misquoting this, but um, when I was looking, into, I can't remember where I was looking. The point is, is that I think Heath Ledger said something to the effect of like, um, you know, we're always asking what we do. Mm-hmm. Like when you come, when you walk up to somebody that you've never met before, like, yeah. and you don't know what their profession is, you don't know what they are yeah. or whatever. Um, you don't ask, um, how are you or you know, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You ask, what do you do? Yeah. You know, almost as like the icebreaker for like, um, like even when you go to these things where you already know what somebody is, like if they're an architect or they're in a place where they are a designer, you usually ask like, okay, so what does your firm do? Or yeah. what, what, what do you, you know, if you haven't talked to them before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe another way to approach it is is that other mentality where it's like getting to know somebody in a way that almost like, catches them off guard a yeah. little bit because then it engages them in a way that like, like if I heard somebody, if you asked me, if we had never met before and you asked me like, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know, and like, you know, but in a way where you weren't trying to understand me through my job, mm-hmm. but you were trying to understand me as like a person. Yeah. I feel like it'd be way more engaging because my mind wouldn't say, oh, well, it's just somebody else asking me what I do. And then yeah. I have, I'm on autopilot. Oh, this is what I do. Right. And I, I think it's it's a very good one for a lot of designers because it, honestly, when people come with such a high ego, it's very hard to like get beyond that surface level yeah, stuff. And right. you know, I think everyone has a moment of being of having very high egos, you know. But the best way that I've ever found to really know someone is being able to make them laugh. Yeah. The moment you can make someone laugh, you can really jump in and figure something else out about them. Right. So. Next question. So it looks like there's 10 questions and not 11 questions. So we're at our last three. Okay. All right. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the, quote, real world? What advice should they ignore? And I almost wonder if the second question, the second part of that question is, I find that more fascinating, but let's see. What do you you think? Um, So the advice I would give and then what they should ignore. Um, the advice I'd give is to stay curious because when we graduate from school, we have this 
perception of a world that we want right. and, a, and a, perception, a, a perception of the world that we see, that we truly see for ourselves. And when you enter the profession and you enter the real world and you start working for others, you get sucked into a different kind of environment that's cultivated by certain people. Yep. When you enter that environment, it shapes the way that you see the world. And when it shapes the way that you see the world and it dr is drastically different than what you thought it should be, some people either love it more or they hate it and they hate what they see. And so if you can hold on to the things about the world that you love the most, the world that you see through your eyes after graduating, and then you can turn that into more, I think that's what everyone needs to have. Right. Because at some point, you will either leave the place if you didn't like it and find a place that has the vision you had, or you'll start a place of your own and make that vision a reality. Now, if it's a bad vision, which I don't know if you can <laughs> say someone has a bad vision, right. then maybe it's worth letting it go. But like most people have a great optimistic view of the world. Yeah. Some people have this negative view of the world. And sometimes if you have the negative view, it takes some time to find a place that can help you change that perception into a better one for yourself. Sure. And um, in terms of the thing to ignore, I, I think the biggest one to ignore is all of the advice you're going to get from older people who tell you how something should and always will be. Um, the reason why I say that is there's a lot of people who are stuck in a traditional mindset yep. who believe the world to be a way that it was in the, in the 1960s or 70s or 80s. And if, you're, if, if those views no longer align to where our world is today, it's not worth following and having. It's a view that'll fall way out of place soon. And if you stay at that place, that place is gonna become obsolete and then they'll go out of business. And so for all of the people who enter the real world, they need to have their own views and they need to challenge it against another view and be able to hold their own or modify it to a, and adjust, so. It's a good answer. <laughs> what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Bad recommendations. Is it, this is just a broad question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bad recommendations. Um, I I hate when people say something like, um, "That'll never change," or "He is who he is," or "She is who she is." Right. And that becomes an excuse to do something for that person or for the profession to be doing something. Yeah. Just because something was done for centuries or decades. Right. And just because someone has a certain type of personality and they've had that for centuries or not for centuries, but for decades, it doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah. And it seems that that has become such a big thing in our profession where you know, if uh, let's say you're designing architecture and you're doing a roof detail, just because a roof detail was done for a decade doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And just because a firm is structured a certain way doesn't mean it always needs to be structured that way. And just because a person, you know, is oh has always talked a certain way to others around them doesn't mean that they should always be doing that. So, so I feel like that's the biggest one for me. I think that was the shortest answer I've given. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. Are you ready? Yeah. You've had some good answers. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. This might be my bad answer. <laughs> <laughs> question 10. The final question. 
When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? If helpful, what questions do you ask yourself? Uh, well, I always start by asking myself, <laughs> it's funny, that's in there, because I, I start with the question, and it's always, why do I feel like I can't do any work right now? And by asking myself that in my head, because I don't talk out loud in my house, my girlfriend would think I'm crazy. But like when I ask myself that question, um, if the answer is related to being exhausted or tired, then I usually lean into just relaxing and not being productive. Um, and then if, if the answer is something that's like, well, there's something else that I want to be doing, then I go and I do the other thing. I think for me, I'm, I'm very organic in the way that I operate. I focus on certain things, and as I start to lose focus, I try and move on to something else. And if I can't do that because I'm just literally de depleted from the day of work, I have to shut my brain off. So I go and I watch Netflix, or I go and I read a book, or you know, like I do something that requires less thinking but more openly learning. So, and when I say Netflix, I usually watch a documentary or something like that. So, all right. Yeah, I'm so nerdy. Yeah. This is what this whole <laughs> podcast is like revealed to me. That's why people always look at me and laugh because it's like I'm just this guy that who's like, looking at you and laughing. I don't know. Like people, that I mean, I guess because I always start with a joke, but like I guess yeah, when, you said you do, you always try to like you know bring uh, levity to. The I do, I do that, and then the other thing that I, I'm very bad at is I always joke about myself. I put myself down, and then people laugh, and then they feel like they could talk to me regularly, but like. I don't know, I didn't realize I, my life is filled with just constant learning. I mean, that's, if, if I was going to say anything about you, that's probably one, one of the things I would <laughs> first think of. So, bonus round. Yeah. This is not one of the questions. Actually, if you can remember, even if you can like sort of paraphrase one of the questions, the top 10 questions yeah. we had, you get to choose one of them that you can think of or remember that you can ask me. Okay. I'll give you a moment to, to digest that the, a little bit. The biggest one, which one would it be? It's definitely not the book one because I feel like that's going to constantly change. Why not, how, about so. we, how about we do this? I will quickly read off all of them, okay. and then you just tell me which okay. one you want me Skip to Skip the first one because I know what that one was. <laughs> okay. Second one, what purchase of $100 or less most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Mm. Question three, how has a failure or apparent failure set, up, set you up for later success? Question four, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Now I'm paraphrasing a lot of these. Yeah. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? What advice would, should they ignore? What are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? And then when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, yeah. what do you do? Okay. So pick one. Uh, I can only pick one. I was going to say, can I pick two? One would be more like professional, but then the other one would be more personal. Sure. Okay. There are no so rules, the, really. The first one <laughs> would be the uh, failure one. So what, what have you failed in the past in doing but have found success through it? And then the second question after that, I, it'll be the last question that was there. Um, so sort of similar to yours, but not from the same vantage point. So like, 
I've talked about this a bunch of times. We actually talked about it on the burnout episode, but it would have to be the overwhelming sort of uh, position I put myself in to do everything all at once all the time, and I just burned myself out. And that actually ended up being a huge milestone, I think, that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life, where it completely shifted my... Uh, it's almost like the fork in the road. Like it, it, it completely put me down a different path in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we were even talking about it on another episode we recorded earlier, um, like you start to um, uh, think about things differently. Like I'm not trying to pursue every project at a hundred percent all the time anymore mm-hmm. because I know that that will make me either hate the project, hate myself, or put myself in a place where I don't want to be health-wise. Mm-hmm. So I think my my biggest f- or my favorite failure is more like when I just sort of, I, I felt like I kind of hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of my relationships were on the rocks uh, with friends, family, and uh, my health was horrible. I mean, it, it was just... I like looked in the mirror one day and realized that I like hadn't been mm-hmm. <laughs> like healthy for like ten years. Yeah, um, and I just recognized the fact that I needed to make a change, and I I feel like that change has sparked so many other positive things moving forward. That if I didn't have that failure, I would probably be, you know, I think it's this is going to get super dark. Um, but like there are there are moments where I think of like if I just kept going down that path, yeah, would it have ultimately killed me? Yeah. Like and or shortened my life or like and like literally like yeah. would it have brought my health to a point that was so low that you know I would have? I'm not talking about like taking my own life. That's not yeah. what I mean. I mean like my actions of being unhealthy, right? like causing something like a heart attack or yeah. something like or, that. Yeah, right. Something bad to happen. Um, not taking care of myself. So I, th- I think about that, and it's actually the motivation now to not burn out again and not have that happen that has pushed me in such a positive direction the other way. Mm-hmm. So that is my favorite failure. Okay. And then the other question was going to be um, the last one about focus. I forget what the question was. If so, I'll, I'll read it again. I yeah. Right here. Um, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? If helpful, what questions do you ask yourself? So, I think it depends on what I'm. I guess I have two answers. One is if I'm just in the middle of a task or a thing that I need to do and I'm losing focus, sometimes I just try to disengage entirely and then come back to it because mm-hmm. I can't, like I recognize the fact that I'm, my mind is wandering and I can't, mm-hmm. re- I'm not, I can't just re-engage myself all the mm-hmm. time. So I go off and I either play a video game or I, I go walking or I go to the gym mm-hmm. or I do something else that is like entirely not whatever that yeah. endeavor is. And usually when I lose focus, it's I'm losing focus on like a task for one of these like 15 different side hustles that we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I lose focus on a larger thing, so like, um, you know, I just talked about my 
uh, my failure kind of leading into all these positives, but you know, it's not like it's perfect. Mm -hmm. So like there are times where I will lose focus because uh, like recently, actually this week, uh, my nine to five normal job became, it had to become my focus. So it became more overwhelming for every other part of my Mm -hmm. life. It's a temporary thing. It's not a thing that I think will like overtake me. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I'm past that hump. You know, but for like a week or so, I lost focus for the gym and I mm-hmm. lost focus for being able to like really keep on track of what I'm eating and how I'm, you know, being healthier. Mm-hmm. So this weekend is sort of like my reset. Yeah. And for me, it's it's about like, okay, so what got me to this place? What can I take away so that I'm not using things as crutches? Yeah. And what can I do to just re-engage myself with the the lifestyle that I want? Yeah. And I keep reminding myself, uh, you know, it, it relates to one of the th- answers you had before with the billboard. It was very similar. It was like eerily similar to mm-hmm. something that I would probably put on the billboard. And it's uh, memento mori. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this a couple yeah. times, but. Um, it's Latin for remember you will die. Yeah. And like I, I follow that to the point now where I have like an engraved coin that I carry around with mm-hmm. me. And it just says that and it has like a little skull on it. And it's like a very practical physical reminder of that. Mm-hmm. That like you just can't, you can't control everyday things that happen to you, but you can control the long term stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you control the long-term stuff by re-engaging with the present. Yeah. So I try to remind myself that, you know, maybe I can't fix the um, the long-term things right away, but if I make an effort today to try to do that, then I'll make long-term impacts. Mm-hmm. And you do have to remind yourself of those things. Like yeah. you can't just like out of nowhere change your future five years from now. Yeah. So. so what out of all of the my answers might have surprised you? Because you know me pretty well. Yeah. Um, just thinking about what we had. Um, I didn't know that you had the the ankle brace like at oh. all. Like, and <laughs> I didn't, you know, because I know that you run a lot. And I know that, like, you, I guess I didn't realize, I mean, I'm not, as nearly of an avid runner as you are, um, but I, I, I guess I didn't realize, you know, because usually when we talk, we talk, um, we talk pretty frequently throughout the week, but it's it's more um, like texting here and there, yeah. and we we have very specific times. I think, you know, we meet the most often of anybody I know. Yeah, because I, I mean, <laughs> part of it is because we take the time and we like. We like literally schedule out time in advance so that we know that we're going to see each other. <laughs> yeah, and, it and it's be- actually pretty cool to right. have that. I like that because <laughs> yeah, and I agree because it's um, it's one of those things where like I it's it's making that time. You you talked about it before. It's like taking that time to like know somebody. Like I feel like I know you that well because mm-hmm. I we have that time that we spend to like actually keep getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely things like the the foot brace thing that were like I didn't even realize that was a thing yeah. for you. It's <laughs> <So it's> like <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, and it's I, not like a big brace. It's just no, no. Thing. I know, but like <laughs> uh, the other thing that sort of I guess it didn't necessarily surprise me too much but your answer for the 
um, the billboard that I just brought up was yeah. something that um, I don't know if we've talked about it in like that poignant of terms before, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that, that that's actually something that you kind of think about all the time too, or mm -hmm. like think about often. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I, it came to me as, and maybe you could speak to this a little bit more, but. It, my version of that came to me because of the failures that I had, and then I kind of reset myself. Yeah, and like was looking for philosophies to keep as a way to um, maintain the positive lifestyle that I wanted. So I mm -hmm. looked for those things, and then I found the memento mori kind of mindset. Yeah, like for you, was there anything that like caused you to feel that way, or to think that way, or is it just kind of always how you've been? Um, I think for me, when I, I mean, it goes back to when I was like five years old. And this is, it'll bring me to a dark place, but like when I was five, I remember I lived in like this bad neighborhood in, in a one bedroom apartment with four siblings at the time, now uh -huh. I have five, and um, my two parents. One bedroom, tiny bedroom. The square, right. the square footage of it, maybe a hundred square feet for the bedroom. It's not big, it's very Like small. the size of this room? Like the size of this room. And, um, which for people who are listening, it's about what it's like a conference described. size <laughs> right. room. And um, when I was there, I was just like, I always stared out of this barred window that we had. I never knew why the bar was there, but it's because of the danger of the neighborhood. Right. And we lived on the top floor, and I would always look out that window, like, what am I gonna do for the rest of my life? Like, what is my life? And I don't know why I asked these questions when I was five. Like, I was like, what am I gonna be? Who am I gonna be? How am I gonna? live my life you know and i didn't know what life was like outside of that neighborhood you right. know when you're five years old and there's no technology like we have today you right. only know what you're in and to me that was a normal neighborhood i didn't feel danger i didn't feel any of that and right. i just i always looked out the window and asked myself that question and down the road later like i was never as focused as i am but starting in like middle and high school middle school and high school itch um there came points where like I ended up in the ER several times from like one time was actually kind of crazy. It was like I was going home one day to a new place that I moved to and I was attacked by a gang. I got attacked by 16 wow. people on my walk home and the first thing that happened was they punched my right eye directly on the eye. And it, it surprises people when I tell them that now because when that happens, I learned a lot about the eye and how it actually operates. So because I got punched directly on the eye, to keep it from exploding, your body actually swings the, the orbital floor down, which is the bone beneath the eye that, that curves. Because I got hit so hard directly on the eyeball, that orbital floor, which is tiny, it's like the size of, it's maybe an inch or smaller. Uh -huh. It's just the size, the length of your eye or the width of your eye. And because I got hit so hard, it fractured into 17 pieces. Jeez. And it, and, it, and it exploded, so it went down into my cheek. And I couldn't feel the top right side of my, of my, um, my teeth anymore. And so I was like, man, this sucks. And then I ended up in the ER. They told me everything. And then the next day when I came to, they were like, uh, well, the first thing that happened was I was still conscious, but because the neighborhood I was in wasn't a great neighborhood, it took three hours for the emergency vehicle to get there to what? even like help me. So <laughs> I got up on my own. My brother drove me to the ER. We walked in there. I checked myself into the local emergency room. And when I was in that room, uh, they put me on a gurney with like 17 doctors surrounding the bed because that's how they do it. And then they all look at you and they assess your condition. What they did was they, they took a light and they shined it into my right eye. And they're like, 
um, all of the doctors confirmed with each other. Then one of them came back, the head doctor came back to me and he said, look, if you feel, if you see a curtain closing, it means you've gone blind in your right eye. And I said, wow, that sucks. And this is the time like at the end of high school where I realized I wanted to go and study architecture. And I was like, well, let's hope it doesn't. And then I was <laughs> like, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, it's because we see blood trapped inside your eyeball. And when you have blood in your eyeball, it means you're bleeding inside. And when that covers the retina or, or the, the back part of it, your cornea, um, it, it basically covers all the rods that sense light and the different colors. So you're going to go blind because it covered it. That hence the blind right. closing. And I was like, okay, well, that sucks. I got to figure out the next part of my life. So then the next day I wake up and I go through surgery and all that. Like, basically, the crazy part was before the surgery, um, they had to schedule it out. And I realized at that time, I was like, wow, I started to suffer from what they call, uh, I call it double vision. It's just a simple term for it. Mm -hmm. A lot of baseball players get it when they get hit in the eye by a baseball. Yeah. And what it is is I, when I looked at anything, it would split into two. Right. So I would see something, but I'd see it vertically split. And I was like, how the hell am I going to draft in the future? Like, I can't draw if I can't see one line. Right. And so then came the surgery, and they're like, hey, so um, how, how should we uh, proceed? You know, the surgeons were talking to each other, and then they showed me the x-ray, and they were asking my opinion on stuff, which is odd, like, to ask a young person that. And they brought me into the whole process. They're like, this is what we think we should do. This is what we're going to offer doing to you. What do you think? Like, you know, are you okay with it? Because my parents didn't speak English. Right. And I, I was laying there looking at it. And I was like, well, what are the chances of reusing all the bones? And they said, what do you mean? Because they're just going to remove the bones and put a plate. And I was like, can you somehow reattach the bones and have, the, have it heal so that I can still have the same structure? Right. And they're like, you know what, we can. It'll be a longer surgery process, but when we do it for you, we can tie it together with a dissolvable stitch. And then we can do all that. And the way that they ended up doing it was they cut open my, my, the top of my gums in my mouth, and they literally went piece by piece, fished out each of the bones, tied it back together, and they put a little plate to hold the end in. And wow. the next day I wake up, I'm like, hey, how'd it go? The guy was like, it went perfect. You know, like everything went well. Your bones should heal. Just don't do anything impactful. Don't do any heavy lifting. Don't do any stressful things. And then after that, I had like two weeks in the hospital. I got out. And I was like, okay, now how do I get over this double vision? And at that moment, during that whole, the two weeks, it's like you lay in this bed. And you there's nothing else around you. You're just in this quiet trauma center. And I'm laying there. I'm just like, how did this happen? Right? right. So getting back to the question about like, why is it that I live <laughs> yeah, my life in this way? That kind of a moment in your life forces you to reassess how you want to live the remainder of it. Yeah. And at the time, I could have died. If they kept right. attacking me, I would have died. And because I didn't, it forced me to think about my life in a different way. It forced me to be more serious because at the time I didn't want to do much in my life. I just wanted to go and work wherever, McDonald's, Burger King, like those are right. fine jobs for me. I didn't right. know what else to do. And then at that time I was like, what else do I want to do? How far can I push myself? So I really started to push myself. And then to get over the double vision, I immediately started playing table tennis. I never played it in the past. I was never good at it. My high school had one in a gym and I started playing there. And then from that time into college, it was only like a six-month period. I still had the vision. I was like, how do I get over this? 
So I played table tennis every day at college. Every evening I would play for at least three hours. And because I had to, I didn't even like think about it as crazy in, in depth as I do now, but because I had to follow the ball moving at such a fast pace and because I got better at playing it, I, I used to play with really good players and we would stand eight feet back from the table because mm -hmm. you're just hitting it so fast. And by following the ball, it trained the, the muscles in my eye to the point where the muscles pushed the eyeball back up. And when it pushed it back up, it realigned my vision. Wow. And from that, I went back to see the uh, optometrist and they're like, what did you do? I told them what I did. And they're like, well, this is one of those miracle recoveries where we never actually thought someone's eye can go back into place. Wow. And so then my eye went back into place. The only thing I can't do is like keep my head straight and move my eyeballs all the way up or all the way down because then they start one one eye goes kind of lazy eye because it, wow. the muscles are holding it too tight now. But because of that, it like really forced me to think about how can I make things matter to me? Sure. Like how can I do the things that actually matter? But also the other thing that came out of it is how can I impact someone else's life in an optimistic and positive way? So that's why I do all the mentoring things that I do too. Every day I try and, and help someone else if they reach out for it, you know? And a lot of architecture students who graduate and students that are still in school reach out to me all the time. And they reach out because I've come to a point where I can empathize with people and I can shoot myself down to being at the same level as others. I don't need to have a high ego or anything. like. I've been at the lowest of the low, like you said, and, and I know what that feels like physically. And mentally, I never thought I was smart. Even now, I don't think I'm intelligent. I just kind of live my life doing the things that I want to do. And that's, I think that's like what sets me apart from other people, that I don't think of myself in a certain light. Right. I think of the things that I want to do and the things that I feel the need to do, and I do it. And that's it. And I never give it up. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll chase something until... I realize it's not for me, then I'll stop. But until I realize that, I don't stop. So, <laughs> so that yeah. answers it for you. It's yeah. a long-winded answer for you. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's a, a a crazy story. Like I <laughs> definitely didn't know that about you. So, yeah. so we just <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Like that's just I, I like I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that that even happened to you. One. Yeah. And two, that like it's a very, um, you know, the thing that strikes me is, and not that you're unsincere or, or insincere or anything like that, but like the, a lot of people, um, I think today especially, have, and we see this more and more, I think because of what the internet offers everybody, is that people say that they're one thing because of this or that, or they're trying to like, um, make themselves out to be more than what they are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the thing that I just learned from about you is that like you have a very, um, uh, honestly, a very interesting but a very genuine place where you're coming from a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And not that I didn't think that before, but now I kind of like have a better understanding of yeah. like where that comes from. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you can't, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this entire episode this way is partially to get to know more about you from, uh, like a, like you said, I know a lot about you. I yeah. don't know that the audience knows you as well. Well, there wouldn't be a reason why the audience <laughs> knows you as well as I do. Um, but, like, I guess 
I wanted the questions to sort of highlight um, sort of, like I find you as a very interesting person, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I want to do the podcast with you in the first place. Yeah. Um, but I'm always trying to figure out what makes Tim on tick. <laughs> and I feel like we've gotten a little bit closer to that today. Yeah, I don't think there's, there's a lot of things that make me tick in a bad way. <laughs> I think for me, it's just like, I'm very genuine. Like, I'm the guy that if you want an honest opinion, I'll give you the honest opinion. Right. And sometimes it's not what people want to hear. But right. I, I don't have time to waste. That's the other thing about the Memento Mori thing. Like, I don't have time to waste. And if I find that someone's trying to waste my time, I call them out on it and I move on. Right. And if I need to hold my ground because someone's trying to impose an opinion on me, I hold my ground. And it, it makes me sound like I'm, I'm such a bad person, but like I needed these things to grow the way I have. Yep. The biggest thing that comes to me now is people saying, you know, wow, you're so wise. Like you just, you seem so much older than 28 years old. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like I, I guess that's a good thing but I've never seen myself as being there, like yeah. as having the positions that I do now. And I, I, even now, I, there's so much more that I want to be doing and eventually when I get to that next step, to that next level of my career and my life, hopefully it'll still be the same, you know? And there's, there's a lot to people, like in terms of what you can know about them. And like you and I know each other so well, mm -hmm. but now you kind of know why I do the things that I do right. and what pushes me to that point, so. Well, this has been a very illuminating episode. <laughs> and uh, I guess anything else you want to end on? No, I actually, I love the questions. And yeah. Tim Ferriss has great questions, but I like this format of questions because I feel like you and I learn a lot about each other, but also I, I think the audience probably got a lot out of our answers today. And yeah. just from a designer's perspective, because this had nothing to do with design. Right. So, And I would really, I mean, I haven't gotten through all of it because it is like a 600-page book, yeah. but I would recommend it highly to everybody because if you can imagine uh, Tim's answers right now and some of mine, uh, take... Just think of how all these other um, uh, people that Tim Ferriss asked would, and they're, uh, the thing that strikes me about all of the way, all the people that he asks, they're all, it's a very diverse cast of characters, mm -hmm. and they all have very unique answers. Um, you know, I, I think of people like uh, Terry Crews, who's um, uh, one of the standout highlights for me mm -hmm. that I was reading, and I, I thought he was just, you know, a, you know, like a pumped up sort of like bodybuilding actor, <laughs> and you know, he's really funny and he's really charismatic. But yeah. I didn't realize that, you know, he's such a uh, profound, uh, intelligent person in the way that he truly is. Until I read mm -hmm. his answers, yeah. and you find out not only how they think about the world, but it starts to inform, you know, even the way that I've thought about how to answer these questions. Yeah, and also you you learn more about people you admire, like Terry Crews. I didn't know he was he's a prolific artist, right? And that he has his art in exhibits, and that he designed his own furniture collection. Yeah. So, well, this has been uh, unpacking design, and we'll see you later. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacking Design. And you can uh, check us out anytime at the unpackingdesign.com website. And you can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Please remember to leave a review and share this podcast with someone you know. Mm -hmm.